Please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them in this parable, Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, after all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with the prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his bro- this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer begins with these words. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important fact about us is what we in our deep heart conceive God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward or I would say, or away from, depending on uh, our mental image of God. And I think he's right. I think uh, who we conceive God to be in our deep heart uh, shapes everything we do, how we view life, how we view ourselves, how we view one another. And so I want to begin this morning, because obviously Jesus is giving us this this picture of who God is, uh, with a question for you, uh, which is this. It's, who is your God? What is your God like? And I don't mean, um, what would you answer on the theology test about what God is like? But I want to know, in your deep heart, who do you see God as? Or what I like to say is, who is the God of your gut? Okay? The, the unconscious image of God that you carry around with you as you go about your days, as you have successes and failures and anxieties and, and all that life is, who is the God of your gut? If you can get inside of that and, and be honest with yourself, what is he like? Uh, is he gracious or is he critical? The God of your gut I'm talking about. Uh, is he joyful? Is he more somber all the time? Is he hopeful or is he more of a pessimistic guy? Uh, Does he delight in you or is he generally disappointed in you? Does he long to give you good things or does he enjoy screwing with your life? I'm talking about the God of your gut. Honestly, what is he like? How do you experience him? Uh, That's going to shape how you interact with him and how you move through your days. And I say all that because we are journeying with Jesus through the gospel of Luke. And what we're trying to do is learn to see reality the way Jesus sees reality. And and at utmost in reality is learning to see God the way that Jesus sees sees God. And I I think it's clear that as you go through this biography of Jesus, um, you realize that people were compelled by a lot about who he was. Obviously, there are the miracles, there's the teaching. But I think at the core, one of the things people were most compelled by was Jesus' own relationship with his God, with his Father. They saw something that was unique and intimate and passionate and beautiful. And they said, I want to have what you have. And Jesus invites us into that. Let me invite you into my relationship with the Father. Let me help you see the Father the way I 
see the Father. And that's, a, that's at the core of what we're trying to do in our lives and certainly in going through Luke's gospel. And today we come to probably the most famous parable of all when it comes to seeing Jesus' view of God. Um, we know it as the parable of the prodigal son. It is the parable that has captured the imagination of people for 2,000 years now. I hope that it captures your imagination this morning. I hope you can take this in uh, and experience it. And we're going to actually spend two weeks looking at this parable. Um, Today, we're going to look at the father in this parable. And then next week, we'll look at each of the two sons. And this is so rich, we could spend two months uh, on this parable. We're going to take two days, uh, two weeks to do this. So what I want to do this morning, uh, as I first, I want to just set the parable in its context, okay? Because we need to see it in its context. That's why we had all of chapter 15 read. And then we'll just walk through and look at the Father and see what we notice about um, this God that Jesus is inviting us to consider. All right, so first, let's, let's think about the context. I mentioned this is known to most of us as the parable of the prodigal son, right? Um, and scholars, I think, appropriately have acknowledged in recent times that that's probably not a good label for this because it's not primarily about a son. It's primarily about the father who has two sons. And the word prodigal, um, do you guys know what the word prodigal means anymore? Probably don't know what that word means. I, I had to look it up. Google told me this week that prodigal means wastefully extravagant, uh, reckless, spending freely. Uh, and so prodigal son is referring to this younger son who is wastefully extravagant with his father's inheritance and he, he uses it recklessly, spends it all and all that. Scholars, I think, appropriately have noted this is actually more about a father who is himself very prodigal, who is wastefully extravagant in his love and his grace for both of his boys. And that's at the heart of the passage. Um, it's important to see it in its context. And you'll, I think that comes, becomes clear that the story is about the father. Uh, Let's read verse 1 and 2 again to see what leads Jesus to tell these stories, okay? You guys with me today? You guys are low. You guys are like, (laughs) I'm I'm like pouring out and I'm not getting anything back. How are we doing? All right. Thank you. Okay. I need a little help. People are already falling asleep. Come on. Verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's the context. Two groups of people are gathered around Jesus, right? First group, tax collectors and sinners. These are messy, broken, irreligious people, immoral people, sexually immoral, financially immoral, religiously, ceremonially immoral, okay? These are... Not respectable people, but they have found in Jesus a man who has grace and has compassion and has a hospitality towards them. And their lives are being transformed by him. And they're starting to gather around him. He's hanging with them. He's eating with them, drinking with them. And they're celebrating. They're enjoying that. And then you have another group of people, right? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, okay? These are the... This is the conservative religious establishment of the day, the leadership of the day. These are moral, religious people. They go to synagogue, right? They fast, they tithe, they pray. Their lives look put together. They're respectable, they're wealthy, they're religious. And they're absolutely scandalized (laughs) by what Jesus is doing. They are offended 
by the people that he is getting all too close with because they have a view of holiness, that his holiness is all about separation from sin and people who sin. (laughs) And so they're scandalized, they're offended by him. And so Jesus is saying to them through three stories, he's saying, this is interesting. These people are gathering around me, I'm celebrating, and you're muttering. Why the different reaction? Well, it's because we have two very different views of who God is. And if you had the view of God that I have, you would not be muttering to yourselves. You would not be offended. You would be joining in the celebration. And for all your study of the scriptures, right, for all your practice of your religion, you are missing the heart of God. So let me tell you about my God. Let me invite you into the heart of my God. And he goes on to tell not one story, but how many stories? Three stories, right? And when you read the stories together, I think you you understand what the main point of the prodigal son's story is. So let me just, let's just take a look at these all together for 30 seconds, and then we'll launch in to the the third story. He's saying, let me invite you into who God is. Here's who God is. First story. God is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he lost one of his sheep. And so he left the 99 in a safe place and then he searched out for that lost sheep and he tracked it down. He found it. When he found it, he picked it up. He put it on his shoulders. He brought it back into the fold and then he rejoices. He celebrates and he gathers people and he throws a party. That's who God is like. God is like a woman who loses a coin. And I heard that this way. I'm thinking, what's a big deal about a coin? Well, she only has 10 coins, okay? So think of whatever 10% of your net worth is. That's what she's lost. God's like a woman who lost a coin. And when he loses it, he lights the room and he looks all over the house. He sweeps it up. He looks under the couch. He looks under the tables until he finds the coin. When he finds it, he brings it back and he rejoices. He celebrates and he throws a party, right? God is like a father, who has two sons, and who lost a son. And when his son got lost, he waits, and he waits for his son. And when his son returns, he embraces him, and he celebrates, and he throws a party, right? Fattened calf, music, dancing. He rejoices. This is who God is. So the main point of the story is, you're missing the heart of God, you Pharisees. God is a God who searches for lost, broken, wayward things. And when he finds them, he celebrates. He's full of joy. That is who God is. Look at how each of the parables ends. Verse 7. I tell you that you look at the note of joy and celebration. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Second story, verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 32, end of the third story. We had to celebrate and be glad. Why? Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. God celebrates finding lost things. Specifically what God celebrates in these parables is repentance. 
He rejoices when his children stop running from him, stop turning away from him, and turn towards him. When they do that, they find a God not who chastises them, not who says, I told you so, but who is there with open arms to celebrate a throw party. Jesus says, that is who my God is. That's why I'm rejoicing, and that's why you're complaining and muttering. You're refusing to join the party. All right? So that's the picture that Jesus wants to present at the heart of who his father is. So now what I want to do is I want to walk through the third story and just watch the father in action, okay? And I know that for many of you in this room, this is a very familiar story. Uh, You've heard it many times. But what I want to invite you to try to do is hear it again and just, I would say, just let this story wash over you today. Wherever you need it to wash over you, let this father wash over your hearts and minds. And and for me, I had, it was a beautiful time. I got emotional. I got teary-eyed this week just sitting with the Father again, all right? So let's walk through it. Uh, We won't spend too much time on the sons. We'll do that next week. I think that will be fascinating. Um, But we'll look at this Father. And I want to ask you as you do this to consider how does this father compare with the God of my gut? That's what I want you, I'm inviting you to do. And before I read verse 11, just want to remember, remind you what I said last week. You've got to think about the cultural context of this story. First century Eastern context, right? First century Judaism. It is an honor and shame culture, right? Where you want to do things that bring honor to your family, avoid shame. And it is a patriarchal society where the father's word goes, right? He is the patriarch. He is the authority legally, relationally in every way. And what you want to do is interact in the world so that you bring honor to your father's name, avoid shaming uh, the family name, all right? I think that brings an even more interesting uh, dynamic to the past, to the story. All right, so verse 11, uh, there was a young, there was a man who had two sons. Uh, The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate, okay? Uh, Scholars will tell us, and I think we all know this, that an inheritance is usually something you get when your parents die. So in saying, give me my inheritance now, scholars would tell us, the son is basically saying to his father, you're dead to me, dad. I don't want you, I don't need you, I I want what you can give me. (laughs) I'm not that interested in you, but I would love what you can give me. And so can I have what's mine, what I would normally get when you die? I want it now. And I want to do with it what I want. Uh, It is uh, a shameful thing to say. It is reckless. It is thoughtless. Uh, Zero appreciation for who his father is, what his father has provided for him. And culturally, we should be thinking, what is this patriarch going to say in response to this ridiculous request of his son? Like, what words are going to come out of his mouth? And we actually get no words from this father. We have no idea how he responds. All all that we know is he does this at the end of verse 12. So he divided his property between his two sons. So the son goes off in verse 13, right? Um, He set off for a distant country. So apparently he wants to get as far away from home as he can. He wants to just go somewhere far away. And we know that he starts squandering his wealth, it says, in wild living. Uh, in verse uh, 30, the older brother accuses him of squandering the property with prostitutes. So we can imagine a pretty wild, loose, free, uh, 
experience of life far away from home. Uh, And then uh, he comes to a place of need, right? And he ends up having to hire himself out uh, to feed pigs. So that tells us a couple things. Um, It tells us he's living in a Gentile region. You're not finding pigs in Jewish regions. So this good Jewish kid is living off in the wild world in Gentile region. It also tells you that he has hit rock bottom. Okay, and we'll talk about rock bottom next week. Um, but if you're a Jewish kid in the first century, feeding pigs is rock bottom. Okay, that's as bad as it gets. And what we might not think about is the shame that that would bring to his father and to his father's household. You know, I mean, you can picture like, you know, I'm a pastor, but like you picture like pastor's kids, right? Who go sideways in high school and they're going crazy and everyone can kind of see it. This would never happen with any of my three girls, of course, (laughs) right? But there's something like it's public, it's seen and it's shameful. Like, oh, this is embarrassing, this is hard and you're a pastor's kid. You know, it's, it has that sort of shaming to his, to his family. So uh, the son hits rock bottom, and verse 17, this great phrase we'll talk about next week, when he came to his senses, (laughs) he comes to his senses, and I think, among other things, he realizes two things, Uh, and you can tell by his dialogue with himself. The first is he realizes this, you know what, my father's house was a pretty great place after all. (laughs) Now, that wasn't such a bad place after all. He, He says, how many of my father's hired servants have Food to spare. So he looks back at his father's house and realizes that was a place of plenty, of care and provision, even for the servants. And all of a sudden, his dad's house is sounding really good again. And the other thing he realizes is this. He is utterly unworthy to return as his father's son. He knows it, and he's right about that. He realizes, like, I told my dad he's dead to me. I told him I don't want anything to do with him. Like, I burned that relational bridge. There's no going back to that. that there's no sense that that could be a possibility for him. But he thinks, you know, maybe. Maybe, maybe servant. Maybe I can come back and maybe I can work as a servant. It sure as heck beats this. I mean, I've got nothing to lose and, and I know enough about my father. Maybe I could come back as a servant. And so he, he gets this speech in his mind. This is what I'll say to him, right? I'll say, I'm not worthy to be your son. Um, let me be hired out as one of your servants. And he heads home. He starts making a long uh, ride home. And, and I imagine he rehearsed that speech a thousand times. How am I going to say this? How am I going to explain myself to my dad? And he's got that speech in his, in his mind as he heads home. So meanwhile... Um, We have no idea how long this is. Is this months? Is this years? And we have no idea what the father's been doing. And we don't know how he's feeling about all this. Is he still grieved uh, about his son? Is he still angry? Is he he over it? How How has he experienced what his son did to him and his son leaving him? We get a hint of that in this famous phrase in verse 20 beautiful gospel phrase about maybe what what the father's been doing all along. And it says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I think in that phrase, Jesus is implying all that time when the son was gone, 
All that time the father was, was looking. He'd seen his son leave down that road to the great wide world, and I'll bet every morning he woke up with a view to the horizon. I wonder if today maybe I'll see my son again. Will he come back on over this time? And so while he's a long ways off, he sees his son. Finally, today is that day that the father has hoped for, has been praying for, and he sees his son. And I just want to invite you, any of you parents, or any of you who aren't parents, to imagine what it would be like to see your your kid coming up over the horizon in the condition that they're in, okay? Barefoot, in rags, 30 pounds lighter, skin and bone, bruised up, and just burdened, and shame-faced, shame, looking down, probably reciting this thing that they're going to say in a second. And this father sees his son a long ways off, and it said what he did, when he does, his heart is filled with something for his kid. What is his heart filled with? Compassion is the word, right? It's in, in the Greek, it, I, we talk about this word a lot, it refers to the guts, You're something you feel in your guts, or we would say today, in our heart, right? His, his heart was moved, his heart was stirred, his heart went out to his boy. And in his compassion, he does what no self-respecting first century patriarch would ever do with servants all around, which is this. He pulls up his robe and he just books it and starts heading towards his son. He just starts running towards his son, it says, and he throws his arms around him and he smothers him and kisses. Shameless. Just smothers his boy and kisses. And the son launches into his rehearsed speech, right? He's, he's been planning this, and he launches into it, and the father interrupts him in the middle of the speech, right? He interrupts him, and here's the key words, verse 24, how the father interrupts him. This son of mine. And that's what he wants his son to hear. He says, you're my son. I, have, I don't care what you're about to say. I do not care at all what you're about to say. You're my son. That's who you are. That's whose you are. I love you. Nonsense about this servant. You're my son. And then he performs these actions for his boy that in that culture would elevate the boy's status and remind him that he is a son. He says, put some sandals on my boy, right? Put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him. He is, you are my son. That is your status. That has not changed one ounce. That is who you are. And then he says, we're going to celebrate. We're going to throw a party. Let's kill the fattened calf. Let's invite the neighbors. Bring in all the servants from the fields. We're throwing a party because my son is back safe and sound. That's who he is. And I just want to say there's, there's something prodigal, <laughs> extravagant, right, about that. I mean, you think of all the ways that a father could respond given what has happened. Like maybe this response, like, you know, well, we'll see, right? I mean, let's, we'll, we'll put you on a little probationary period. Time will tell, like, we'll see. Um, or, hey, you never had it so good, did you? Now you, you? now you see what I was saying all along, right? Or, or even thinking to yourself, you're not here because you love me. You're just here because you're desperate. You have nowhere else to go, which is absolutely true. He could have said any of those things, but that's not what's on his heart at all. My boy's home. I have my boy back safe and sound. We're going to celebrate this thing. 
And so a celebration begins. Uh, And then the story turns in verse 25 with this ominous word, meanwhile. Right? (laughs) Verse 25, meanwhile. The older son was out in the field. He's out working in the field and he, he hears the sound of a party. There's a party off in the distance and it's happening in his own house. He's thinking, what, what could this be about? So he calls a servant. The servant tells him, your brother returned and your dad's thrown a party. And this boy, when he hears that, his heart is filled with something other than compassion. The older boy, older brother became angry. His heart is filled with anger, bitterness, jealousy, And he refused to go into the party. So he probably says to this servant, you tell my dad, I'm not coming to this party. I'm not coming. Servant comes back to the the, the dad. The dad's in the middle of a party, right? He's around a table, feasting, dancing, you you name it. And he hears your older older brother's refusing to come in. Uh, Now, if you're a first century uh, patriarch (laughs) in that moment, what you do is you say to that servant, well, you go back and you demand that he come and you tell him his father says, you better bring your selfish little tush in here and you're going to celebrate this right now, right? That's what a patriarch does. And this father doesn't do that. This father, he leaves the party. He goes away from it. He leaves the 99 to go out to the one out in the field. And you begin to realize this is a dad who loves both of his kids in the same compassion and love that he has for the younger son, he has for his older son. So he actually leaves the party, goes out to him, and it says he pleads. He actually pleads with his, uh, his boy, his, old, his firstborn, to come on in. And they have this fascinating dialogue. We'll talk more about this dialogue next week. Uh, but the, the older son begins the dialogue in verse uh, 29 with this word, look. And uh, my experience is that whenever family conversations start with that word, they tend not to go very well. (laughs) Look, Dad, right? You look here. And he makes an argument. Uh, And he kind of, you know, he kind of tries to couch it in, like, concern for his father. Like, verse 30, when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes, right? Dad, this, he squandered your property. He brought shame to your name. I'm concerned for your honor, Dad. Um, but it's really all about him, right? I mean, when you read the, the essence of the complaint, it's all about him. Verse 20, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat, a young goat, so I could celebrate with my, my friends, right? He's making an argument that every parent has heard a thousand times for them their kids. It's a two-word argument that goes this way. Not fair, right? Not fair, Dad. Um, we actually, I banned that phrase from the Gunlock household about a year ago. <laughs> the girls are not allowed to use that phrase. Or there's various forms of corporal punishment that take place. <laughs> not fair, right? His heart is consumed with a certain kind of justice. Right? And here's the justice. This isn't fair. All these years, I have been slaving for you. I work for you. I've never disobeyed you. I've never brought shame to your name. I've brought honor. And yet, my my brother who's screwed it all up, he's getting a party. I've never gotten a party like this. What do I have to do? Do I have to screw up royally to get a party? Is that how it works in your house? This is not fair. Right? And he's right. It's not fair from one perspective. But it's, he's bitter, he's jealous, he's disrespectful. And the patriarch, 
probably should respond with this. No, no, you look, right? You selfish, right? But that's not how he responds. What are his words to his firstborn? Verse 31. What are the first words out of his lips? (laughs) My son. You're my son. The same thing he said to his youngest son. He's now saying to his oldest, you're my son. You're my son. And then here's what he goes on to say. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. Just as he elevated the status of the younger brother, brought him back into a status of son, he's trying to remind the older brother, this is what it means for you to be my son. We're together. You're always with me. Guess what? It's actually all yours. It's always been yours. You may not, you may not have realized it, but it's, it's yours. It's all yours. It all belongs to you because you belong to me, my son. And you realize, again, at the heart of this, this father, it's just a dad who loves his kids. He loves his kids. He wants them to be with him. He cares about them deeply. And he ends with this invitation to the older brother. Uh, We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Come into the party is what he's saying, right? Don't leave yourself out in the party. And the, the... Outside of the part. And the brilliance of the story, of course, is we don't know what the older brother's going to do, right? We're, we're, it's left open-ended. And of course, that is Jesus' invitation to the Pharisees. Will you join the party or will you not? Will you be consumed by your sense of fairness and what is appropriate? Or will you join in? And part of what's, what makes it so compelling is we hear this older brother's complaint and we're like, I get that. Like that, right? He's got a point, <laughs> He's got a point. It's just not the point that Jesus is trying to make. <laughs> but he's got a point. So that's the story. And we've just kind of, you know, just scratched the surface. The story of a father who simply loves his kids. He loves them both. He wants them both to be with him. He wants them both to celebrate with him. And I want to give that story to us all, and I want to leave you with the simple question of this. Is that the God of your gut? As you look at this father, and I recognize this is not the only image of God we get in the scriptures, but it is one of the most comprehensive. As you look at this father, how does that compare with the God of your gut? This God who is prodigal, who is extravagant with his grace on his kids, who wants to be with his kids. Another way of saying it is this. Are are you at home in the love of your father these days? As you're living your life, are you at home in the love of your father? Or is the the father's love at home in in you? Um, What parts of you are at home in, in the father's love and what parts of you are not right now? Where are you able to take in his grace in, in love, and where are you not? I want to give you a, a passage. Um, I want to leave you with this passage from Paul. The older I get, as I look at my own journey, the more I believe the essence of the spiritual life is simply growing in our ability to be at home in the Father's love. It is growing in our ability to fully integrate his love and grace into every aspect of our lives and then to begin to look out into the world with that same love and be able to extend that to one another.
Um, There's this great prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3 where he prays that that would happen in people's hearts, that the love of God would would grow deep and rich in their hearts. And he's, he's praying this for people who already know God loves them. But he's saying, I want you to know it even more. Here it is. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses test knowledge, right? Gets to the gut level that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the prayer that you would be rooted and grounded in it, that it would fill every part of your life until it is the ground you walk on, until it is the air you breathe every day. And I think that's the journey that God has each one of us on. So I want to leave you with a challenge this week, all right? And I really want to encourage you to do it because challenges only work if you do them, it turns out. It doesn't work if you go, oh, that's a good idea, and you don't do it. So I want you to do this this week. And here it is. I want you to get alone with God this week. If you can get an hour, that would be great. Uh, If you can get half an hour, that also would be great. I want you to bring a piece of paper or maybe two pieces of paper, a pen, and bring this story. Read the story again with God. Read it slowly. Watch this father at work and then sit with your God. And I guess the way I'd I'd say is first write a letter to God. (laughs) A very, very honest letter where you sit with, do I believe this about you, God? Where do I believe this about you? Where do I not believe this about you? Where in my life have I experienced this? Where have I not? Where do I still need to experience this from you? And for some of us, what's going to come up is some of us past things. There's going to be past wounds, past things that have happened to us or that we've done where we realize I have not yet experienced your love in that, right? Some of us, it'll be present things we're going through right now. Um, sin in our life right now, or just inadequacy, feeling not enough. Some of us, it'll be future stuff. It'll be anxieties and fears about the future. But have a very, like, Psalms-esque, honest letter to God. This is what I actually believe about you. That's how this squares or doesn't square with this Father. Okay, write that. And then, just be silent for a bit. And just listen. Just listen and see if there's anything that he wants to say to you. Don't try to control it. Don't try to predict it. Just see if he wants to say anything to you. And if you want to get real crazy on this challenge, write a letter back to yourself from the father of this story. If the father of this story were to write you a letter right now, what is it do you think he would want to say to you? What would he say to you? about how you're living your life, about how he views you, about how he wants you to view other people, about just about anything. What would the father of this story want to say to you in this season of your life? It only works if you do it, Um, but I'm going to do it. I want to invite you to do that. It's a way of trying to find our home in the father's love, in the midst of all of our stuff. Let's pray.